On this week's show, we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, revenue per lead. We're also going to talk about maintenance agreements. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. Over the last several shows, we've been talking a lot about maintenance and service agreements and some of the topics that go around that with respect to using them as a marketing tool and, of course, making sure we price them properly. If you're a member and you haven't seen those shows, make sure to take a trip to the archive section of Cracking the Code and get caught up on this conversation. If you're not a member, then you'll only have access to this week's current topic, so you won't be able to go back. You can get more information on the service agreement course by filling out the form to your right and selecting service agreements from the drop-down menu. Now, let's dive into this week's topics. Now, folks, we all know that your lead conversion on your maintenance agreements and you know, service agreement customers is way higher than a marketed lead, upwards of 80 90%. So the reality is the value of those leads are really, really important, and it drives much higher revenue per lead. I want to share with you some training on revenue per lead, and I'm going to take you back to some golden oldies from back in the HVAC Sales Academy days, but I want you to pay attention to the content because it hasn't changed. It's universal, it's timeless content on revenue per lead and how important every lead really is. The lead cost in our industry is around three dollars to $400. In other words, it costs the company about $300, $400 to get that phone to ring, to get you know, a lead to call in about a new heating and air conditioning system. Well, the true value of that lead is far more than just the three dollars or $400,000, uh, or the three dollars or $400 rather it costs to generate that lead. The, the, the true opportunity cost the opportunity loss of that lead is the potential that could have been generating on that sales lead. Uh, the way to get a real appreciation of the value of a lead is that you have to understand revenue per lead. On average, how many dollars does a company or does a sales professional generate on every sales lead? Let me give you an example. Suppose I told you I could drive from here in Colorado to California on one tank of gas. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, it might sound like a good thing, but to really know for sure, you have to have two pieces of information. You have to know how many miles it is, in other words, how far I have to drive, and you have to know how many gallons of gas that I burn to get there. In other words, how big is the gas tank? Because let's face it, if I've got a 10-gallon gas tank, then driving from here to California, that's a good deal, right? That's good gas mileage. But if I've got an 80,000-gallon tanker that I'm uh, you know, using to, to feed my car the whole time, then that's not very good gas mileage. The only way to know whether or not that the gas mileage is good is that we have to have kind of an apples to apples comparison, a basic unit of measurement. And we call that, in efficiency on automobiles, we call that miles per gallon. So miles per gallon is, a, is kind of the, the measurement that we've chosen that we can say, well, you know, 10 miles per gallon is bad and 50 miles per gallon is good. But you have to have those two pieces of information to have some basic unit of measurement. Well, in sales, that same me measurement is revenue per lead, RPL. And it's not the average ticket. It is a uh, kind of a, a combination of your average ticket size with your average conversion rate, which we blend together to get revenue per lead. And revenue per lead is the only way to get kind of a uniform measurement of how good somebody is. It's a great equalizer, because whether you're running 10 leads a week or 10 leads a month, 
the revenue per lead will give you a, a way to measure the success, uh, regardless of the number of leads that you are running. If you're looking just at close rate, your close rate, if you're running more leads, may be lower, uh, so it's hard to compare apples to apples. But on revenue per lead, it should be the same whether you're running 10 leads or 100 leads. Again, revenue per lead is the average revenue generated on a sales lead. It's the way you measure your sales productivity, your sales performance. Let's go to the whiteboard for just a moment, and I want to explain revenue per lead because it's, uh, it, the terms uh, may be unfamiliar, but the concept, I'm sure, is very familiar to you. Let's say that I go out there and I run 10 sales appointments. I get 10 leads that week, and I go out there and I run those 10 calls. On those 10 calls, I sell five of them. So I have a 50% conversion rate. I sell five and I lose five. On those five that I sell, let's say my average ticket was $6,000. So I got five deals at $6,000, which means I put up $30,000 of revenue on those leads. But I didn't just use five leads to get that 30,000. I had to use 10 leads. This is the kind of the number of gallons of gas I had to burn to get this far. So if I wanna know my revenue per lead on average, I have to take my total volume and divide it by the total number of leads that I had to burn to get that 30,000. So in this case, obviously you can see 30,000 divided by 10 would be $3,000. And so my revenue per lead is $3,000. So as kind of a unit of measurement, it's a way that we can compare apples to apples. We can compare you know, various performances of various sales professionals, whatever it is. I will tell you that in today's business, in today's industry, your best performers, uh, and really I think a minimal level of acceptance is about $4,000 for revenue per lead. And here's why. If a guy gets 10 leads, he ought to go out there and get half of them at an average ticket of around $8,000. I mean, $8,000 average ticket, when you consider the high efficiency and the high expense of high efficiency equipment, high efficiency furnaces and air conditioners and heat pumps, uh, the advanced controls we have, the indoor air quality, and all these different things contribute to averaging, uh, to, to uh, leading to an, a higher average ticket. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, your average ticket might have been less, but with everything going on today, we should have a very high average ticket. After all, most of you know that the government is setting standards for minimum efficiencies in certain parts of the country, whether it's heating or cooling, and that's gonna raise the average ticket because the government's forcing people to buy higher efficiency equipment. So when you stop and think about the price of equipment these days and all the accessories available and all the controls and everything involved in our business, an $8,000 average ticket is not too much to ask for. So if I go on 10 sales leads and I close five of them for $8,000, that's $40,000 in revenue. And that is, you know, divided by 10 leads, $4,000 revenue per lead. So that's how you have to look at your revenue per lead. You have to look at the true value of that lead. Oftentimes what happens in a company is that maybe we don't cherish that lead and really appreciate that lead uh, the way that we should. Sometimes we can take a lead for granted. You know, we got too many leads and we end up dropping, uh, dropping leads off and just dropping off bids. But that's not really fair to the whole process because listen, if you stop and think about uh, the average guy out there is generating about $2,000 revenue per lead. That means on 10 leads, he's only generating about $20,000 in revenue. That means he's losing $2,000 revenue per lead. So if I've got a star performer that's generating $4,000 revenue per lead, and I've got a guy over here generating only $2,000 revenue per lead, in my mind, every time I give that guy a lead, it's costing me $2,000. Because if this guy had run it, it would have been $4,000. So you have to hold yourself accountable to this standard. One of the things that you'll see is that 
the more runs we lead, uh, the more leads we run rather, when it gets really, really busy, our revenue per lead tends to, tends to drop, right? Because you get so many bids, you just drop, you get so many leads, you're dropping off bids, average ticket goes down, average close rate goes down, and next thing you know, your revenue per lead goes down. Because the revenue per lead, again, is kind of a combination of your average ticket and your closing percentage. And so you have to have that measurement to know that if you're you know, doing as well in the summertime as you are in the fall. I've seen oftentimes revenue per lead, you know, we always think about the summertime as being our busiest season, but sometimes we're so overwhelmed and we run in so many leads that our revenue per lead will drop. And it's actually higher in the fall when we have fewer leads. In other words, you go out there and you get 20 leads one week uh, during the summertime, you're dropping off bids and you generate $20,000. $20, you know, you're only generating $1,000 revenue per lead because you're dropping off bids so fast. Then you go to the fall and you have only six or eight leads that week, but because you only have six or eight, you take your time, you diagnose all the problems, you build a great relationship with your homeowner, and next thing you know, you, you know, you got a, a revenue per lead of, of three or four thousand. So the key is, is to know what that revenue per lead is so you can make sure you're maintaining it in your busiest seasons. I can tell you this, when revenue per lead works itself out, I've seen it happen very often that a sales professional will generate about the same revenue on three or three and a half leads a day as they do on two leads a day. And the answer or the reason for that is very simple. They just get too busy to dropping off bids. So we're much better off uh, as a sales professional, just take my two leads. Let me maximize my opportunity on those two leads to ha have high average tickets and high close rates and take those other couple leads and, and hire a new salesman, right? That's how you grow a company. So we have to really understand the value of these leads. When I talk about the value of the lead, you have to look at the revenue per lead. Again, it's not just the three or $400 that we lose if we lose a lead, it's the $4,000 that we would have generated with a $4,000 average revenue per lead. And that's why every lead has to be cherished. Every lead has to, to truly be valued. You know, when, uh, when that phone rings and that call comes in, that lead coordination process is so important. We wanna make sure that lead is properly set and properly um, measured and properly controlled and understood, you know, to be the valuable thing that it is. It's the gold. It's the, it, it's the lifeblood of our business. And oftentimes leads can be handled very cavalierly, right? The phone rings and lead coordinator takes the call and says, ah, oh, they're about 10,000 bucks for a good system. Click, right? And all of a sudden we lose that opportunity. Well, that's $4,000 we let just hang up on us. That's why you have to take seriously every opportunity. You know, set the lead properly. And we uh, are not doing the lead coordination training in this particular module or this particular training, but the reality is there's a way to set the lead, to qualify it, to build the relationship, to get one of your sales professionals in the house. Uh, but uh, other than the techniques of doing that, of course, you have to have the right mindset that it's an important thing. It's a really valuable thing, this lead. We cannot treat it cavalierly. You know, we had another question coming this week about how much should I be spending on my marketing budget? That's a broad question, and there's not one simple answer. It depends a lot on what your business objectives are, what you're trying to do, how old your company is, a lot of different factors. So to give you kind of a comprehensive response to that question, I want to share with you some training from our weekly Ask the Experts call, which hopefully you're joining in on. And uh, Gary, myself, and Drew Cameron are going to be talking about marketing budget and how it's different for everybody depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So take a look, take some notes, and do some learning. Gary, is there a guideline for my marketing budget as a percentage of total revenue if I'm not doing demand service? Well, I'd love to be able to give you a magic bullet uh, or, you know, the, uh, the, the one number that uh, you could hang your hat on and uh, it, it would work, but uh, unfortunately marketing doesn't work that way. 
so the questioner isn't doing demand service. Uh, I'm going to take that, that we're doing mostly installation or we're targeting replacements um, as the primary philosophy. So you're probably going to end up spending more money than the average company in terms of the KPIs uh, that you know we vetted in the trade, simply because if you're going to do paid search and you're looking for a a, a person or you know a consumer that is looking to buy a new system, uh, chances are uh, they're going to click on multiple ads, and uh, so you're probably going to have to spend some uh, resources to be present and accounted for inside of that space. It's a lucrative transaction on the replacement side, so given that framework, everybody knows that. Wally knows that. Drew knows that. I know that. We're in the same market. We're probably fishing in the same pond. So. When things are slow, you're going to spend a lot more money per click or per lead. Uh, or, you know, if you're doing traditional advertising, even if you're doing, you know, say targeted direct mail letters, that's probably going to be a higher number. But I would also say that I'm okay with that, meaning that uh, service is an expensive business. It does produce a lot of leads and lead turnovers and maintenance. So we love it for that reason. Uh, but without that expense from service, I have the opportunity to reduce my overhead exposure. Um, I probably don't need quite as many people and my assets on my vehicles aren't there. I'm probably not worried about certain tools and you know training and uh, compliance issues that are part of my overhead structure in the service business. So that does give me some additional liquidity to spend on a higher cost per lead, if you will. Uh, so traditionally what we've seen is somewhere around 12 to 15% would be a number that you would say an installation only company would spend. I've seen higher than that. Uh, but I think you're going to have to probably figure that's going to be about what it's going to take to compete effectively in the marketplace. Um, the downside that you have by not having the service and the maintenance business, uh, which is not necessarily part of this questioner's question, uh, but there is uh, uh, two sides to that uh, knife, is that you're not going to have the slow season uh, customer relationships to be able to leverage internally email campaigns, drip campaigns, call center marketing, precision tune-up discussions. Uh, so you're giving up the lead turnovers inside of that model. So I, as long as we understand that's one of the reasons why you're going to have to spend more money, um, the trade that you get in favor of that is a lower overhead structure, uh, probably more flexibility to turn on and off the spigot. Uh, so um, we have several clients in our digital agency that are absolutely in that model and uh, both models are successful, but they tend to spend a quite a bit higher numbers than comparatively for a company that has the service business. Uh, one other comment I would make on that is the value of the company at transition is worth less uh, in that particular model because there's no way to prove to the buyer that there's a repetitive or recurring revenue stream that produces profit. It's based on the marketing model. So not that you want to do that in terms of the questioner, but I think that you need to also understand that that's that's a downstream issue that uh, you know you have to think about. So, uh, Wally, I'll toss that to you. You can uh, discuss that a little further. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Uh, you know, when I started my company, our first year, we 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 were uh, well, the first two or three years, really, just the replacement only company. I did not understand the service side of the business. I barely understood the sales side of the business, right? But I certainly didn't understand the service side, and I didn't understand the importance of it. So, for our first couple of two or three years, we were strictly a replacement company. I had a couple of service techs and all they did was service our installations. That was it. I didn't know anything beyond that, you know? So ignorance was not bliss. Ignorance turned out to be very painful to finally figure out. And uh, we were at about 15% our first year. It came down a little bit. Now I will say that this was 
back in the day before digital marketing was as popular and digital marketing is, you know, a little more effective, cost effective than old school, you know, direct mail and, and you know, uh, newspaper stuff that we were doing back in the day. But 15 percent uh, went to marketing our first uh, couple of years and then it came down a little bit, but it was really, really expensive way to do it. And one of the things that uh, Gary touched on there is it was a huge mistake for us. Um because we we did feel the seasons more severely, right? When it slowed down on the place, and man, it slowed down, you know. And I ended up to I got to the game so late, I ended up buying a couple of companies that had strong service departments. That was my solution rather than trying to build it from scratch. And of course, we built on it, as I mentioned, like with the service agreements and things. But really, our strategy, I realized how important it was that we went out and and, and bought, we paid for the solution. Uh, the other part that Gary mentioned there at the end is so important. The long term, what he referred to as a downstream issue, the valuation on your company, the value of your company, wouldn't it be ever go to sell it, is significantly enhanced by having uh, a service agreement base. Uh, when we finally sold our company, we had roughly those 3,000 uh, service agreement. And when the new buyer went to buy it, we were we were helping him negotiate with with the bank to get the loan and et cetera. They 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 didn't use an actual valuation because they valued strictly other assets we had. And, and basically they, we basically, we sold it a multiple of our, our, our free cash flow. But one of the things the, the bank did bring up in one of the conversations was, do we have a guaranteed customer base? And when I was able to bring them 3000 service agreements that were active, they did their own research. The bank did, and they came up from doing some industry research. Then they, they put kind of a theoretical value of $300 a piece on each of those. That was a million dollars, and and it was it was a big part. Again, it wasn't the actual asset that they they you know were using to secure the loan or whatever, but it gave them a great deal of confidence to make the loan that we had that secure base. And so when Gary talks about the downstream long term issues, over over overlooking that can be very very costly down the road. And uh, aside from the the the, the month in season in season out fluctuations that tend to be mitigated to some degree if you have a strong customer. Uh, customer uh, uh, extended service agreement base, right? It's, it's, it's hugely important. And, and having made the mistake myself, I would just caution anybody, as, as Gary mentioned, and Drew, I'm sure will do the same, uh, that it's, it's a pretty short-sighted approach. If, if a company's brand new and wanted to come out of the gates for that first season, that first summer, that first winter, and hit it hard for replacement to generate some cash, that's one thing. But long-term strategy really has to include that or, uh, or you know, like I did, I missed the boat for a couple of years. So, Drew, looking forward to your insights on that as well. No, thank you, guys, uh, and, and good stuff. And Wellen touched on something really important there, you know, length of time in business, because like he said, he was, he was a new company, uh, and he was actually going up against uh, his old boss uh, in, in that exact market that he was in, which was a uh, you know, client of mine. And um, I, like he said, he hit 15% his first year in marketing, and I know from my client, we were not spending that level. I think we were closer to about 8%. Yeah, at the time in that particular company, but it was a company that had been in business for a while, had service agreements, had service customers, and, and was able to, uh, you know, obviously spend a little bit less money because, like on Garrett, to Gary's point, is I was getting lead turnovers. And to, tech, you know, to some extent, for the most part, those are, are let's say, free, if you will, or, or very low cost if you're paying, you know, paying a spiff or whatnot. And, and so uh, the guidelines that I have followed, uh, you know, playing off of top line revenue, and we teach obviously a l lot more in depth stuff within the uh, marketing, branding, advertising uh, class that we teach uh, through EGIA, as well as the content that's on the site that Gary's done a great job compiling over the years. 
costs. But, um, you know, when I look at top line revenue, it's just kind of a guide. Uh, I look at, you know, if you're going to be about three and a half to 5% for a, a conservative approach, if you will, to, to marketing, uh, meaning you don't have to spend a lot in maybe media because um, you've got an active customer base. You've got, you know, great technicians that are turning over opportunities. You've got salespeople that are closing at a high, high closing rate with a high average ticket. And so maybe you don't have to spend, you know, as much as somebody who has lower performing people or maybe who hasn't been in business as long uh, there because, your marketplace is going to determine uh, what you have to spend. The media cost obviously determines a, a good chunk of what you have to spend. So in a major market like uh, uh, New York or Philadelphia or California or something like that, um, you're going to spend you know, more than you're going to spend in, in you know, uh, some uh, you know, country town that doesn't maybe have a major media presence or something of that nature. Uh, and then obviously, what medium are you going to choose? If you're going to try and go after everything on television, you're going to end up spending more. And so there's a variety of things that kind of go into the answer to this question. And again, you know, we, not, not, not that we can get into them on this particular call. So I, I would reference our, uh, our viewers and listeners to tune into uh, the platform, if you will, or dial in on the platform and look up the, the marketing and budget, uh, marketing budget uh, content that Gary's put on the site and, and work through that so that you understand what it is that you have to spend because there is no right answer for all contractors across the United States, especially on top line revenue, because there's a variety of factors, you know, that, you know, that go into that. Uh, that being said, I also would suggest um, if you're looking at just equipment replacement and like Weldon suggested, spending 15% as a new company. Um, and, and Gary even said uh, right in that, you know, I think uh, 12 to 15%. Uh, I know companies and I've worked with companies where we were spending right around that 14% on just equipment lead generation but that was on existing customers. So if we were just marketing specifically for existing customers, uh, you know, for equipment replacement, where like they did not have a very good service agreement base, but they had a database of customers, we were spending 14%. To go to the market and go ahead and try and churn up new customers who never had done business with the company before, uh, we were looking at closer to 26% there. And, and so those are some significant numbers when you put them into your overhead. So I would just caution you. And that's why I'm going to direct you back to the platform or get to an EGI class on the topic. Hey, Drew, uh, Wally, just one more uh, comment on that. So I've done two HVAC startups and neither one of those had customers to your point. So I, I almost think that this question might be a company that's either starting up relatively new uh, or it could be a new construction business that uh, maybe doesn't have a lot of service business. Maybe they've got a lot of construction. So it depends a little bit upon what's going on. Uh, you know, I've had a, a third business that I acquired that was a new construction business. So we had this large database uh, of lots and lots of people, but nobody ever did any service work or maintenance work. In fact, they they turned it away on purpose. They, they that's not wasn't their model. Uh, so. In both cases on the startups where we had no customers and we literally had to go to the marketplace, that's where the 15% number has come from. In other words, when we when we went through a media plan and we did pay uh, somebody to actually study, you know, cable, radio, uh, this was really before digital was was out there uh, and, and, and doing its thing, uh, pre-iPhone, if you will. Uh, we ended up with a broad-based media plan that went out to the market that said, hey, we're in business and you know we want to do service, we want to do installation, we want to do maintenance, we want to do indoor air quality and geothermal in, that, in those days. So 
it was an expensive proposition. So I would suggest that if you're a company and you're looking at that, if that's the problem here, and it doesn't really say that, but if it is, the idea of a tuck-in strategy is actually a much more efficient use of the dollars than media. So while we're talking about my marketing budget as a percentage of total, I would include in that conversation the idea that we learned a long time ago that if I can go out and buy a company that has a database, that has customers, that have done some level of service work, we can leverage the installation side of that conversation. Likely the com the, that company hasn't produced good results because they didn't leverage it. Uh, that also offers some pretty cool stuff that we have today that we didn't have in the past. Uh, so email drip campaigns and digital platform strategies where we can target market and remarket to customers on social media and follow you around with cookies if you were an existing customer that I bought. So if I, if I bought Wally's air conditioning and he was getting out and gave me his 1,200 customers, I can predict that I can generate about one out of 12 of his customers that are legitimate uh, will turn into a transaction for me on that model. So it's far more return on investment oriented to actually buy the tuck-in if I can find a tuck-in like Wally's Air Conditioning uh, to do that rather than go out and spend money on traditional media. Uh, it, you're gonna find out that the payback is much quicker too and you can track the results. So I would use a concurrent platform. I would do, I would do media and advertising, but I would also look very hard at tuck-in. So I just wanted to make that comment. It's hard to determine uh, from this question where this customer or where this particular contractor sits in their, uh, in their life cycle. So just a quick comment there. Well, folks, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure that you're measuring revenue per lead. Make sure you understand what revenue per lead is. And of course, make sure you got your marketing budget dialed in, right? That's what it's all about, to get those leads to convert to revenue. We'll see you next week. Until then, have a great one. Bye-bye for now.